Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Today we are looking at the idea of honor and submission in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Now, honor is valuing someone very highly and holding them in highest esteem. Submission is placing yourself under the authority of another. And today what we're going to see is Peter calling for honor and submission to civil authorities. Now, I'm the son of a policeman. And I was taught at a very young age to deeply respect and deeply honor and submit to civil authorities, especially the police. Peter is giving us a relationship between Christians and the civil authorities and its application to our lives. So if you are able, please stand with me to read God's Word. I've said this before, but I don't want us standing to read God's Word to be some ritual we do or anything like that, but really to call attention to the fact that we're reading the Word of God. I know that some of us aren't able to stand, and I just want to say that the idea comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. But there were other things that they did in response to the word of God. They said amen and amen when the word was, was read. They stood up when the book was opened. They, they lifted their hands. They, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. So there's all sorts of responses to the word of God. And I want our responses to be a heart response saying, this is God's word. I want, by, by the Holy Spirit's power, to do what it says. But today I'm reading verses 13 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us, Lord. We pray that you would, you would have your way in our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would change us where we need changing, inspire us, comfort us, do whatever work you want to do in our hearts. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. And please be seated. And one of the great things about memorizing God's word, and I know uh, many of you are memorizing First Peter with me, one of the great things about that is that you are you're memorizing not just a verse or a chapter, but the whole book, and you get the book in context. I am now up to the verses I am preaching, and it, it's been amazing to actually have that grasp of the context without having to go look into it. And that's one of the, the great things that when you memorize God's Word, especially if you're memorizing whole chapters, paragraphs and chapters, and trying to memorize a whole book. But you see the context, and you see how things fit together. Well, that's one of the great things about expositional preaching, too. This verse-by-verse preaching through the Word of God and going through books in the Bible. You get it in context, you see how things fit together, and it also helps people like me not to get up on their hobby horses or their, their soapboxes and just talk about what we want to talk about. But what God wants for us today is, is what's in these verses today. And he's going to speak to us through it. Now, because I'm the son of a policeman and I was taught to have this high level of respect and honor and submission to civil authorities, it doesn't mean that I've always lived up to that foundation that was set for me. There have been plenty of times that I've disrespected civil authorities, but my heart desire is to do what God says in His Word, and amongst that is to, to honor and submit to civil authorities. I know that you want to do the same, and so as we look through this today, there will be things that God probably corrects you on, 
that you go, ooh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not in line with what God says in his word. There's other areas you're going to say, praise God, I am in line with God's word. And it's not a, a reason for pride, but a reason for thankfulness and humility. But I know the idea of submission is tough for us to take. I know it's tough. Our pride fights against it. I think there should be a sign on everyone's bed when they wake up in the morning that it says, beware, your pride will be provoked today. Many times, all day long. And get ready because your pride will rear up its ugly head and do all sorts of things that in your better moments you don't want to do. The command to submit kind of gets us in that mode. Some people will tell you, uh, I will not submit. Don't even go there. As a pastor, there have been times that I have had marriage counseling or even premarital counseling, and one of the spouses will say, do not use the S card. Don't go there. We're not going there. It's off the table, not in the vocabulary. I'm like, oh, so we're not going to use the Bible? We're not going to say what God says? So we can't, we can't go there. They're like, no, we're not going there. And, and the reason why a lot of people maybe have such an issue with Submission is because maybe they have seen authority wielded in unfair ways. Maybe they've been mistreated in some way by those in authority. And so it's tough. It makes something that's already tough for us to do even tougher. I get it. We, we all experience that. So just know that the context here is, is what God says we are to do. And, and there's, there's just some clear-cut, clear-cut things for us here that you know we would have a a tendency sometimes with the bible to make it say what we want it to say and kind of maneuver it so that it it fits our feelings or our thoughts but we don't want to live like that we want to to say god what do you say in your word we want to fall under that and so on this topic i just want to say i know it's tough the idea of submission is very very tough now what we see in these verses in first peter 2 is a general principle, kind of a macro principle about submission. And then Peter launches into a micro application and in in subsequent weeks we're going to go into other ones. Next week will be the marketplace and even what do you do when you suffer unjustly? How do you submit then? And then everyone's favorite coming up in a few weeks, submission and marriage. Part one and two, we will deal with wives and submission and marriage part one and husbands and submission and marriage part two i know you're looking forward to it and i hope you're looking forward to the one that applies to you and not your spouse but either way we're going to look at that but first let's look at the big general principle the macro principle that peter is bringing out so we're going to go to verse 13 and it starts like this be subject very simply submit and that comes from a word that comes from two words meaning to place under The idea is that you're placing yourself under, that everyone is to submit. By the way, this is a universal principle. Everyone, believers and non-believers alike, are to submit. They're to submit to every human institution, every institution that God has ordained among people. Now, submission is the idea of recognizing that you are subordinate under an authority figure, a hierarchical structure. Now, We don't like the words hierarchy, authority, structure, and submission, do we? It it just, our pride fights against it. I mean, we we just are very uncomfortable with this. So just know that I know that, I am, you are, we all are, but this is God's word and there is something here for us. And it's very, very significant. There are two errors that we could fall into as we address this. And it's regarding honor and submission. The first error is that we would misuse this passage. That we would deny its true meaning and that we would explain it away. That would be very sad. And it would be dishonoring to God. The second error with this passage is that we would misunderstand the ideas of honor and submission. And I think a lot of people actually switch the two. They, They don't realize it, but they think that honor is something you feel and submission is something you do. People will say, well, I need to submit I need to do that. I don't want to. It's against my will, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to jury duty. Or I'm going to, you know, make my bed or eat my cauliflower or 
whatever it is we don't want to do, but we have to do it. So we just kind of begrudgingly obey. And many people see submission in that way. It's not. Here's the idea. We, we often think honor is something that we feel and submission is something we do. It's the other way around. Okay? Christians are to submit, and that's a heart attitude. And then they are to show honor. That's in their actions. So the emphasis in submission is on your attitude. It's an attitude of submission, which leads to actions that are honorable. That's the idea. So the idea here is you need to submit, I need to submit. Submission is our friend, not our enemy. And it's for the Lord's sake. That's the motive. Peter says, submit, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Oftentimes, we want to submit for our sakes. Well, it's going to get me what I want. It's going to help me, you know, get where I want to go. But what God is saying is submit motive-wise on account of the Lord, because of the Lord, because of what he's done. Peter has been so amazingly Christ-centered, and he's talked about how great the salvation is that Christians have received. And he's saying, because of this salvation, because of what the Lord has done, because he has saved you, because you believe in him, because you love him, submit. That's, that's the reason. It's for, it's for him. It's because of him. Specific application is this. The micro idea regarding civil authorities. Obey unless you're told to sin. Obey civil authorities unless you're told to sin and disobey God. The micro idea here about civil authorities is that whether it be an emperor, and by the way, Peter says, as supreme. Who was the emperor when Peter was writing? Nero. We'll get to that later. I mean, we name our sons Peter and, and our, our vicious dogs Nero, right? Whether it be an emperor as supreme, Peter says, and, and it's going to be applied directly at that time to Nero, or to governors as sent by them to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That's their normal role. It's their job. You're to smit. You put them yourself under the authority of the civil authorities. You honor them. You obey them. You, you do what they say. Unless they tell you to sin. Now this brings up all sorts of questions for us, doesn't it? I mean, my first question would be, well, what's the role of government? What's the purpose of government? We're talking about civil authorities here. And then, now, clearly tell me what the default response is supposed to be. I mean, honor and submit, okay? But give me a little bit more, okay? And then the other question I would have is, so can I ever disagree? Can I ever say no to civil authorities? So we're going to kind of look at those questions because this passage actually addresses the answers to those questions. So the first question is, what's the purpose of of government? You might know the name Thomas Paine, but Thomas Paine famously said that even the best governments are a necessary evil. And a lot of people agree with him. I don't, because he doesn't agree with the Bible. The Bible does not say that the best governments are a necessary evil. According to God, government is good. So it's not like us going around saying, and and many of us have said it, all politicians are bad, and I just need to vote for the least of the two evils. Said that on many election cycles. Well, I'm just going to vote for the person I like. Not the least. I don't know what. I I, I don't like any of them, but I'm just going to pick the one that I think isn't the worst. Now, that is cynical bordering on hostile and we can get this way can't we we can get openly aggressive we can get uh, overly negative view of government the bible doesn't have that the bible has a very good view of government it views government in a positive light and remember peter is talking about nero here okay worse than any ruler that america has ever had it's it's like night and day so many times our problems are first world problems they're all opinion based but, but Nero was actually killing you if you were a Christian. Lighting you on fire and putting you in his garden. Now, 
there are many people that go into government to do what is good and right because it's a noble aspiration. God's end game is his glory. And in your life, if you're a believer, his end game is his glory and your eternal good. But he wants people to work for the good of all mankind. And God calls many Christians to work in the public square for the common good in their neighborhoods, in city government, in national government, and even in an international level. And, and the idea behind government is that God ordains it within the state. God ordains authority within the state. And the best governments honor God. The worst governments do not. The worst governments, though, are better than anarchy, where everyone does what they want, when everyone just says, whatever I think, I'm going to do. If you, if you want a picture of anarchy, read Judges chapters 18 through 25. If that doesn't convince you that the, even the worst government is better than anarchy, then I would suggest that, um, again, if you're going to give in to the negative, uh, cynical view of government, go live somewhere where there's anarchy. And if you can get out of the country, and if you can get a flight home, you'll come running home and say, wow, praise God for government. Anarchy is horrible. It's the worst possible human um, context in which to live. Here's how you should view civil government as a gift from God, a gift of God's grace that you should be very thankful for every day of your life. A lot of American Christians have become so cynical and, and so, so dishonoring to government and it, it gets winked at in, in evangelical circles. It's, it's quite all right in many circles to bash political leaders and to make all sorts of comments and do all sorts of things that are, are, are really, really things that don't help us grow in Christ. God ordains authority within the state and civil government is a gift from God that we should be very thankful for every day of our lives even though it's flawed. We know it's flawed because people are involved. It does good though. It does bad sometimes. We have sorrow for its errors, but we praise God that it exists. Go with me to Romans 13. Romans chapter 13, Paul is now talking about, just in greater detail, what Peter is talking about. Paul says, let every person, again, it's a universal idea, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. So they're appointed by God. They're from Him, and they're good. It says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would that you have no fear of one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will, not, and you will receive his approval. So you do what is good, you're rewarded for it. For he is God's servant for your good. God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He doesn't bear the sword for no reason. Because he is a servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. Wow, a servant of God, that's awesome. And an avenger that carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Therefore, Paul says, you should be in subjection. Not only to avoid wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. There's your attitude. Your, your conscience should not be seared. Your conscience should not be hardened. You should have a sensitive heart towards what God says you should do. And you should thank God for government. The purpose of government is to restrain evil. You know, stop robbers and murderers and thieves. The purpose is to punish wrongdoers. Praise those who do good, reward them, and preserve order. At Grace Church of Orange, we have a lot of law enforcement personnel. We have retired and active, and, and I thank God for them very much. We have people in military. We have people that are, are, are going into public service. And let me just say, if that's you, you are a servant of God for good. If you're a Christian then you know more than anyone in that field that you are God's servant for good and you know you didn't get into it on selfish motives. You know that you're not living for yourself in this regard, but you are serving 
to honor God. You're preventing people from doing great harm. And then law enforcement is, uh, and government is going to put them in, people in prison if need be, give them fines if need be, and we're to be very thankful for that. The last time I was pulled over by one of Orange's finest, and I mean that with genuine sincerity, the last time I was pulled over by one of Orange, the city of Orange's finest, I said, thank you very much, please write me a ticket, because I deserved it so bad. I was, you know, rushing home to go meet someone for an appointment and I literally was breaking the law because I was driving too fast. That bugs me when people do that. And, and I said, thank you very much. I deserve this. And this person was very kind, very courteous, and I thanked them for it. That's what I was taught to do. I can't tell you I've always been that kind and courteous. I can't tell you that I've always had such a, a good attitude towards someone in, in authority, but I'm telling you that's what we should do. We should be in subjection, and, and we should do so not just to avoid God's wrath, but to please Him. They work for the good of the people. They're in God's service. God put them into service, and, and He's using unbelievers and believers alike in this regard. We got to know where this came from. You know where this came from, don't you? It came from the fall. Why do we need government? It started with the fall. When Adam and Eve repudiated God's authority, didn't submit to his authority, didn't listen to his word, and basically evil went unrestrained from there on. You get to the time of about the flood and it says that the thoughts of man's hearts was continually evil all the time. That was the state of affairs amongst humans. And God said, I- I'm going to start over. <laughs> and the flood came upon the earth. And then after the flood, the beginning of government. Go, go to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to look at two verses, verses 5 and 6. God here is delegating authority to human beings. This is the beginning of government. Verse 5 says, For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God says, for your lifeblood, that is for murder. For murder, he says, I will require a reckoning. I will make things right. I will carry out justice. You murder, you'll lose your life. Because why? What's the reason? Because life is sacred. Because man is made in God's image. God holds life, human life, in high regard. This is the biblical justification for capital punishment. God is delegating authority to human beings and, and here is for capital punishment and there, therefore the authority to carry out lesser punishments for lesser crimes is, is also settled in human authority in civil authority that God has, has given that authority to. And by the way, this is not just for America. There were many other countries before America existed. We know this, right? Of course. And, and this is for all people in all times and in the cultures in which they live. And of course, you've got good governments and bad governments. You've got noble rulers and evil rulers. But go with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. One other place you want to see about being submissive to rulers and, and, t- and this is a reminder, by the way. I'm, we're being reminded. I'm reminding you. It, this is important. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Remind who? Remind the church. Remind Christians to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And I'm telling you, it goes so far beyond ob- just rote obedience. But it does start there. It says, be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Ready. To do good. To speak evil of no one. Boy, are we all guilty. To speak evil of no one. I think the only people in this room that are not guilty of that are the babies that haven't been born and the the, the tiniest infants. They don't know how to talk yet. Once they do, they'll get into it. They'll go. But I'm telling you, this is our our standard by by God's grace and, and with His Holy Spirit's power. What God calls you to 
He enables you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do this. This is doable. You're like, I don't think I can do this. I know, I, I look at this too and I'm going, oof. Man, it's it, pointing out all the things I do wrong all the time. Oh my goodness. I am in big trouble. But all is not lost. The blood of Christ cleanses us from every sin. And this is the, the ideal. Speak evil of no one. Even your political rulers. Even your city council and your school board and your neighborhood watch people and the president of the United States and the governor. Speak evil of no one. And to avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. Christians should be the most courteous people in the public square. We should be the kindest, gentlest, most loving people around. But often we are the judgmental, persnickety, quarrelsome, irritable folks. There's a reason why we should do this. Why we should do right. Since we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But then you get to the cross. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. And the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, we poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We're heirs of hope of eternal life. So everything here on earth is covered and we should live very soberly and carefully under, under what God has instituted here on earth. And for us, in this country, in this state, in this city, there is civil government. And we are to honor and submit the heart that loves Jesus says thank you thank you God for your good gifts thank you for our president thank you for our governor thank you for our city council thank you for all the people that are either paid or unpaid that are doing this thank you for our, our law enforcement thank you for our military thank you for all the people that are serving your purposes God for, for the common good And especially thank you for those that are believers in the Lord Jesus that are actually aware that they are your servant for the common good. What is to be our default response to civil authority? It's very easy. This is the easiest answer all day. Civil obedience. We all want to talk about civil disobedience. We'll get to that. But civil obedience is the default response. That's the will of God. Look at verse 15. 1 Peter 2, 15. For this is the will of God. Now, every time you read the Bible and you see a verse that says, this is the will of God, your your ears should perk up, your eyes should open wide, and you just start hearing an alarm. Ding, 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 ding. The will of God. Wait, the thing I've been praying about for all the time I'm praying for God's will he's going to tell me right here what it is God is so good he's telling us right here right now what the context in this context of, of submitting to civil authorities what the will of God is this is awesome here's what the will of God is here's what it says this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of of foolish people. So you mean I can't shout them down? You mean I can't write nasty letters? You mean I can't tell everyone I know how bad our, our leaders are? <sighs> what am I going to do all day? No, the default response is civil obedience and it is the will of God that you and I would do good and thereby silence the ignorance of foolish people. They would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That, that, that like verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
That they would see and hear the gospel truth and believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved so that when Jesus comes back, for those who love him, they're praising God because they're, they're, they're going with him. The default response is civil obedience. Submitting to government, by the way, is secondary to submitting to God. You obey God, you do his will, and because of that, you, you, even though you're pilgrims and strangers, you live under the order that God has ordained here on earth. It's good for you, it's good for me, it's good for all of us. The will of God is that you would put to silence the ignorance of the foolish by doing good. God's silencer of fools that will muzzle them and gag them and restrain them and put them to silence is your good works. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit. And let's just remember who the ruler was when Peter wrote. Nero! Nero! I don't know anyone named Nero except dogs. Or dogs. You have a name like that. By the way, Nero was not a bad looking guy on a coin. You can look it up. Not a bad looking guy, but he was a really bad guy. Now, the first five years of his reign were actually good. He was listening to the philosopher Seneca and his. Uh, his, uh, the captain of the Praetorian Guard, Burrus, and they were, they were his advisors, and they were wise men, and they were keeping him in line so that he wouldn't go crazy and, and start doing evil. It was a wise administration his first five years. He actually benefited the people. But what happened? Well, his worst enemies were from his own household. His mom tried to depose him, uh, she wanted to put Britannicus, the, the son of Claudius, in his place. And so Nero started listening to the most beautiful and wicked woman of Rome, Poppea Sabina. And, and here's what she told Nero, kill your mom. And he did. And then she told him, kill your wife. And he did. Evil, evil situation. His career was marked by wickedness and debauchery and extortion and horrible cruelty. That's why his name is associated with all that is despicable and vicious amongst people. Depraved man. Ten years into his rule, Rome was burned. Many people thought he did it to get himself a, a better new city. He did rebuild Rome at a, on a grander scale than it was before. But what did Nero do? Well, in order to shield himself from the, the rumors and suspicion of burning the city, he accused Christians of doing it. He made them the victims of his cruelty. Roman historian Tacitus gives the first reference found in any pagan writings to Christ and his followers. And it reveals how cruel Nero was. It, it, it reveals how, how much the early Christian martyrs suffered. Here's what Tacitus says. I quote, In order to drown out the rumor, Nero shifted the guilt on persons hated for their abominations, known as Christians, punished them with exquisite tortures. Christ, from whom they derived their name, had been punished under Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Checked for a time, this pernicious religion broke out again, not only in Judea, but in Rome. Those who, were, who confessed their creed were first arrested, and then by their information, a large number were convicted. Not so much on the charge of burning the city, but of hating the human race. In their deaths, they were made the subjects of sport. They were covered with the skins of wild beasts, worried to death by dogs, nailed to crosses burned to serve for torches in the night. He goes on, Nero offered his own gardens for this spectacle. The people, he says, were moved to pity for the sufferers, for it was felt that they were suffering to gratify Nero's cruelty, not from considerations for the public welfare. You know what the shocking thing about that is? Besides how shocking that is, the empire under Nero was better than the emperor. In fact, if you weren't in the, in the area around Rome 
out, out into the outskirts of the empire, things were actually pretty good. They had food, they, they were doing well, and so they put up with this bad ruler because, hey, he takes care of us. Things are going well for us. Dark time. Let me tell you about one bright light in another time. 1700s. Jonathan Edwards lived from 1703 to 1758. He was 55 when he died. Greatest theologian this continent has ever produced. Key figure in the religious life of colonial America. Now, a lot of evangelical Christians think of him as this Puritan fire and brimstone preacher because all they've heard is that he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they've never read the sermon, so they don't realize that that sermon is one of the most tender, straightforward, loving appeals for people to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. People are ignorant of that that because they, they see the title and go, ooh, that must not be that good. What could be better but to, to appeal to people to, to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved? But that's not what I want to tell you about, about Edwards. He was a multifaceted thinker and, and he, he really carefully observed the political and social uh, things that were going on and swirling around during his time. And he developed the theory of how a Christian should operate under civil authority in civil community. And so that's what I want to share with you. His biblical approach to how Christians should live in society, basically. Now, this is not the Bible, so take it for what it's worth. And it needs, it needs a bit of flexing because he wrote in the 1700s, okay? But there's six things. And I think they all stand up to the test of time, just with probably some, some uh, different application in, for our time. Number one, he says Christians have a responsibility to society beyond the walls of the church. That's a given, right? We need to, we need to break the tendency that, that the church has to isolate. Number two, he says, Christians should not hesitate to join forces with non-Christians in the public square to work toward moral goals. Now, never compromise the gospel, ever. Establish your convictions, establish your non-negotiables, but cooperation is critical if we're going to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. Right now, there are Christian politicians, servants of God, and, and Christian lawmakers and Christian law enforcement officers who are working together, cooperating with non-Christians in the public square to work for the common good. It's, it's absolutely necessary. Number three, Christians should support their governments, but be ready to criticize them when the occasion demands. Civil rulers need the support of, of the church, of Christians under their authority. It is our duty as believers to pray regularly. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Pray regularly for civic authorities, civil authorities. And, and the reason is so that we would live godly and peaceful lives. But we must have this cautious respect for authority and be willing to speak out when necessary. Number four, Christians should remember that politics is comparatively unimportant in the long run. Oh, if some Christians could grasp that better than they do already. The state can never have the place reserved for God alone. Our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Peter was always looking to the return of Christ, wasn't he? He was always looking for, for, for the heavenly city which was to come. The Roman Empire was going to crumble. It's going to dissolve. Heaven's forever. Number five. Christians should be, should be aware of national pride. Beware. Beware your national pride. I love my country. I'm an American. But it is secondary to my true homeland in heaven. I am first a Christian. And then I'm a citizen. By the way, there's never been a truly Christian nation. And this side of heaven, there won't be. It's all tainted by sin. It's all set on fire by pride, really. 
And the last thing that, that Edward says is Christians should care for the poor. You're going, isn't that from a different list? No, from the same one. And absolutely necessary to be on this list. We must have an attitude of mercy, not superiority towards the poor. It's so easy for Christians to say, well, they got themselves into it. They need to get themselves out of it. God puts no qualifications on us serving the poor. The city of Orange and surrounding cities ought to be saying to us, we couldn't do what we do if you weren't doing what you do. No one's knocking on my door to give me that message. Care for the needy, care for the poor, care for the defenseless. Daniel 4.27, Daniel spoke to politicians basically and said, break off your sins by doing righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. Show mercy to the oppressed. There are many poor people who need our help. One other question, when should we actively resist? When should we express our disagreement? When is it necessary to speak out, to take action against oppressors, to say no to civil authorities, civil disobedience? Acts 5.29, when Peter himself says, we will, we will obey God rather than men. You're going to tell us to not preach the gospel? We're not going to listen to you. Do whatever you want to us, but we're not going to do it. Daniel was the same way. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. The idea is we can say, I can say whatever I want. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I can say any opinion I want. That's a misuse of this verse. What he's saying is, you're free people in Christ, and you are bond slaves of God. You're to walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. Don't be a slave to sin. Don't cover up evil. The pretext with a veil, with a cloak. Don't, don't even cover up evil towards civil authorities and say, well, I'm free in Christ. He says you're a slave of Christ. A bondservant of Christ. That's a, that was the lowest class. That was below dirt in the Greco-Roman world. You were a slave. But here it's used of believers. It, it expresses that joyful freedom that we have in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. And God set us free from sin to serve Him as His bond slaves. But it doesn't give us the right to disrespect, disregard, dismiss our civil authorities. In fact, the, one, the, the civil authorities we disagree with most, we should pray for the most. Pray for their good and pray for their salvation and pray for, for that they would work for the good of all people. I think our handling of first world problems is often selfish and self-centered and sinful. Civil obedience is the norm. We have to settle that in our minds. And unless you're told to disobey God, unless you're told to sin, you need to submit to authority. Civil disobedience is the exception. And we ought not to disrespect, disregard, dismiss, or dishonor civil authorities. To honor them means to hold them in high regard. It means to treasure them, to value them. So how do you disagree respectfully? Well, how do you disagree with people respectfully? Don't blast them. Don't slander them. Don't, don't say what is wrong behind their back. All the things that you would do as a Christian with other people, apply that to civil authorities. From direct uh, statements in Scripture, you can, you can know when you're supposed to disobey civil rulers, by the way. And, and you can discern something. You can discern, is my disagreement selfish or serving God oriented is it just for my sake or is it for the Lord's sake is it because of Jesus but here uh, Norm Geisler came up with seven circumstances where you should disobey civil leaders number one when the government prohibits the worship of God like in Exodus 5.1 do what God says in that, in that situation number two when they require taking innocent life Exodus 1 you do what God says in that situation. Number three, when they demand the killing of God's servants. First Kings 18, do what God says in that situation. Number four, when they require the, the worship of idols. Daniel 3, do what God says in that situation. You see the pattern here. Number five, when they command prayer to a man. Like Daniel 6, do what God says in that situation. N uh, number 
Number six, when it prohibits the propagation of the gospel. And they say, you can't preach the gospel. It's like Acts chapter 4 and 5. Do what God says. Say, no, we're not going to obey you here. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. And seven, when they demand the worship of a man as God. Revelation 13. It is going to happen. It's happening now. It's just in very subtle ways. Nero was worshipped as a god. He worshipped himself as a god. He made a statue 103 feet tall, almost as tall as the Statue of Liberty. And by the way, that thing doesn't exist anymore. But he was worshipped as a god. He usurped God's authority. So here's what you do. Bottom line on that is when the, when the state demands that your biblically informed conscience must be broken when they demand something that your biblically informed conscience can't agree to that's when you disobey great example Dietrich Bonhoeffer he plotted against Hitler we applaud that but here's what what Bonhoeffer said death reveals the world is not as it should be but that it stands in need of redemption Christ alone is the conquering of death. See, when Bonhoeffer was plotting against Hitler, he didn't think he was going to be, that Bonhoeffer didn't think he was going to be the savior of the world. He believed he was working for the common good of the people of his country at that time. That's what we should do. We must speak out against things that are anti-biblical, that are anti-God, agendas that are completely opposed to biblical truth. And let me say this too, is that your, your attitude towards specific authority figures matters and it's contagious, it's detectable. You gotta watch over your heart with all diligence because fl- from it flow the, the issues of life. Your kids mimic your political views. Be very careful the way you speak of your, of your civic leaders. Your actions will reflect your attitude. You have a bad attitude towards civil authorities, you will, you will not have pure actions toward them begrudging obedience is is falsehood you complain about jury duty and i know that's like well come on everyone complains about that everyone complains about speeding whatever all these little things little things become big things who are we to say well i'm gonna not do that one oh now we're being our own authority we want anarchy no we don't want anarchy So griping and bashing and blaming and slandering and begrudging obedience to civil authorities is sin. It's wrong for us to to do. We have to watch our words and watch our actions. If you have honorable attitudes, you will have honorable actions. If you have dishonorable attitudes, that will lead to disingenuous actions. It will be guile. Your testimony, my testimony for Christ is at stake here. It is affected by my attitude and my actions towards civil authorities. God is really pleased when you live before unbelievers in such a way that they look at you and they say, wow, that's righteous. That's gracious. That's loving. That's kind. And then they hear the gospel of the grace of God and they see that your life and your actions and your words go along with the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. You're to submit and you're to honor. I'm to submit and I'm to honor. And when we obey these these ideas, these principles... We show the genuineness of our faith. Submission to, 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 to civil authority is one way that you can serve God with a clear conscience. And when you ignore this, you hurt the cause of Christ and you hurt your growth in Christ. You don't grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as God intends. I will say this. We must take initiative to submit and not, be wait, not wait to, force, uh, to, to be forced to submit. If you don't take initiative to submit, you will find yourself in the, in the category of being forced to submit. Verse 17, and we'll close with verse 17. It says, honor everyone. Wow. So Christians should be those kind and respectful people to all people. And love the brotherhood, your, your band of brothers and sisters. We have a higher obligation to fellow believers. Not only to respect, but to show love and strong, deep love for them. And, but then it says, fear God. Fear God. Doesn't say fear the emperor. It says fear God. Doesn't say fear your fellow man. Fear God. 
our highest obligation to, to honor and fear God. But then it says, honor the emperor. It ends with honor the emperor. We, we can't ignore that one. We can't erase that one. Contrary to public opinion at the time, by the way, honor the emperor, Nero, really? Contrary to public opinion at the time, uh, claims of Roman emperors were, you worship me as God. He didn't say worship him. He said, he said honor him. Not worship him. Honor him. They were not gods. <laughs> they were not equal with God nor worthy of the honor due to God. People, they're people. They're worthy of honor due to people. Only God is to be worshipped. Only God is to be feared. So Nero's vanity was shown in building this enormous statue and this enormous palace to himself. It was called the Golden House of Nero, his palace. And he plundered, basically plundered the cities and temples of Greece to, to furnish the new buildings. But he put that 103-foot statue of himself up. And there's a pic. Basically, here's what it had. It had him holding a rudder with a globe at the bottom. And that was to signify that he was Lord over land and sea. Nothing could have been further from the truth. We are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We're not to worship people as gods. We're to, we're to honor and submit to honor the one true God. I realize that we can come to a point today and say, wow, we're, we're kind of messed up. I'm, my heart's kind of messed up. I might be way off in my attitudes and actions towards civil authorities. Well, praise God, all is not lost. We need rescue, and the rescue has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our perfect example for submission. He himself, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The Bible says that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Lord God, thank you that we are not sovereign. Thank you, Lord, that we are not saviors, but we are servants of yours and to, to meant and, and built and, 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 and designed to worship you. And any submission that we offer is because of you. It's from you. And, and if our hearts seek to be directed by you and to do your will, that's through you because of, of your power. And, and if, if we do truly serve you, it's, it's, it's to you. It's, it's for your praise. We believe that from you and through you and to you are all things. And we, we want to say to you be the glory forever. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.